Pray with me, please. Holy Spirit, open our ears. Make our minds attentive to your word. God, help me to to be a mouthpiece, Lord, just as um, Isaiah was to the people of Israel. Lord, help me to be a mouthpiece that just proclaims your word and your truth. And even help my ears, even as I teach this morning, to be ready and quick to listen to your word and be changed by it. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, For those of you that might not know me, my name is Blake Plimpton. I work here as the pastoral assistant and office manager. And I find the longer I work here, my title just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's pretty awesome. Um, But it's also a really big title, and I I do almost everything here, it seems like. Um, If you can think about it, I've probably touched it or worked on it, or that includes toilets, that includes walls, that includes just anything. Um, But I also help with the youth, and so... Um, I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity to work here and to help this church, but also to grow in ministry as I continue with ordination and see where God has me and is taking me. And so if you've been here for the summer, for most of the summer, we've been covering Acts um, and we've taken a short break to talk about the family of faith, um, to talk about what does it mean to be in a family and what does it mean to be in this family of faith and how do we live that out here? Um, and then uh, we're taking this week off as our team is traveling to Tava, as you heard. And so I have the opportunity to speak. So I'll be in the lectionary this morning from our text. So if you wanted to, you can pull out a Bible in front of you, pull it up on your phone. I'm going to be going through the text each one. We'll be starting in the Old Testament with Isaiah. So you can turn to Isaiah 28. And so let me just let me read through it again really quick, just for a moment. And I'll explain why I do. I want to read through it, but um, just follow along with me. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. We have an agreement with the overwhelming whip that passes through. It will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken our shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through, by day and by night. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, and in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused. To do his deed, strange is his deed. And to to work his work, alien is his work. Now therefore, do not scoff lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Now, when I, when I was first reading the lectionary um, text and trying to figure out, okay, what am I preaching from and what am I listening to? And what is God trying to communicate through these? Um, I read Isaiah and then I was like, okay, what? What's going on? So I read it again and then I was like, what? 
I just don't get it. And see, I, I like to think it's not my fault. I mean, in my undergrad, I took a Pentateuch class, Genesis, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We got to Genesis 15. Uh, and then I took an Old Testament class with the same professor. Terrible mistake. Uh, right, Old Testament, okay. I got to Exodus 20. <laughs> Thankfully, my master's program, we've gotten through the prophets and the minor prophets and other stuff. So some of the gaps are there, but I still feel weak there. So I spend extra time whenever I look at the Old Testament. Um, and so here we see Isaiah just calling the rulers of Jerusalem scoffers. He's, he's rebuking them. Well, why is this? Well, they have made a covenant with death. Well, I had to look a little bit, and it, find, and it comes out, this, this covenant with death is with, uh, with Egypt. Because as, as we know about the Israelites, they have kings that are ruling them, and they're constantly in battle with other nations. And, and over throughout the whole Old Testament, we have Babylon and Assyria coming in and fighting their nation and taking over. Right? And Israel is kind of to blame a little bit for this, for the fact they even have a king. Right? So because this all roots from this issue of them wanting a king. See, they already had one at one point. And it was Yahweh. It was God. God was their king. And yet, the people were not satisfied with that. So when we look at 1 Samuel 8, we can see that the people are begging for a king. Samuel is going to be passing away soon. His sons have, have fallen from the faith and entered into sin and are just not following God. It's like, well, who's going to lead us? Well, God, give us a king. Well, Samuel then... Um, speaks with God and God tells Samuel, hey, this is not you that they are rebuking, but they are rebuking me. They're, they're denying me. And so Samuel, through the word of God, tells the people, hey, you, you guys can have a king if you want, but he's going to take the best of your fields, making all of your work much harder. He's going to appoint himself leaders, not one that is just appointed by God, but one that could be driven by the power and desires of man to fulfill his own ways. A tenth of their grain and vineyards are going to go to the king now. Right? And then, he's going to, then the king, not only is he going to take the good land, but he's going to also take the best workers for himself. And so they're putting themselves in a position to work harder, to, to be in a place where they're, where they're led by this man who is going to fail them. And then in verse 18 it says this, And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. In that day. And then the people in their own arrogance continue and they say, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. See, they didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't trust God. They weren't trusting God, Yahweh, the one who brought them through battle after battle after battle after battle into their promised land, who brought them through and was with them and for them and ahead of them in all that they did. And so in, in the process, as, the, as nations are raging against Israel, the king then is like, well, we need help, so we'll go to Egypt. And they ask Egypt for help and... We find out later through the stories is that Egypt will then backstab them and take their gold and their, their, their land. And so the interesting thing with Isaiah here is he always does these two things. He offers, he's always speaking of judgment, judgment of God, but then he's also speaking of hope. He's speaking of hope. So we can look right in the middle. There's this, this small little passage tucked in there. 
In verse 18. Then your covenant, excuse me, in verse 16, right? A stone, a precious stone, a tested stone, a cornerstone, a firm foundation. This is what God is laying. And so he says, hey, do not put yourself, do not put your hope in these kings. And attentive Israelites would know, hey, this is the Messiah that God has been pointing us to this whole time. That God has been waiting us for, that we've been waiting for. And so even God, in the midst of this judgment and telling them, hey, you all will suffer, is reminding them of this Messiah. See, God is trying to save his people and trying to lead them and guide them, but he's also willing to let them suffer because of their lack of faith. They're putting their faith in all of the wrong places. And this occurs again and again and again with the Israelites until they have no king and they have no land for years and years and they just wait. And so there we are in the Old Testament looking forward to the Messiah. So let's jump forward all the way to Hebrews 12 where we have the author looking back toward Christ. right? Hebrews puts us in a time where, where Jesus has come. Jesus has lived his life of ministry. He lived a sinless life. He was offered as a sacrifice for our sins. He died on the cross, was buried, rose three days later, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's done his ministry. And so the author here is telling us to look back to Christ, to look back and see him. So let's read um, Hebrews 12, starting at verse 22. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I just get excited every time I read that passage again and again. And, but there's a couple things I want us to notice in here to correlate back with Isaiah. And first is this language of judge. Right? It's, it's not necessarily obvious um, in Isaiah a little bit, but even in here, in verse 23, right? And to God, the judge of all. Well, in Isaiah, what we see is that God says, hey, I will create a line of justice. I will create a line of justice. Well, who, who is to judge the one who steps over that line or who tries to step out inside in it? Well, it is God, the judge, the perfect judge, the righteous and the good king. He is the one who can who can defend that line of justice. And so we see God acting as judge, even in this New Testament passage, is that there will be one day where we will stand before him and he will judge us. But we can trust him and we can know it is good because he is good. And he is loving and kind and merciful. So we put our faith in him. 
The second thing is this language of kingdom. Israel is, is fighting and losing battles and their kingdom comes and goes. They have temples that, that get destroyed and taken over and rebuilt. But here, Hebrews is speaking of a kingdom that cannot lose, that cannot be destroyed, one that is, cannot be shaken. Right? Because sin and death no longer rule. And that's the reality, is that it no longer rules over this world. Right? And so for those of us who are Christians who put our faith in Jesus, can look to the future and put our, put our hope and faith in Christ in this promise that he's given us. Right? The Israelites had everything to fear. Because they would look at their king and they would look at a man. And then they would hear the stories of David who, who commits adultery with a woman and then has that woman's husband come back from battle then puts him in the front line to have him murdered. Right? They had men after men, king after king who failed them over and over and over again. But our faith who is in Christ, the cornerstone, the perfecter and finisher of our faith, he is the one that we put our faith in who gives us hope for a future. Right? And all of that, again, it's flowing out of the beginning of this chapter as you're reading it. It's all culminating to this point. But just as last week as we read, starting in verse 1, chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a firm foundation that we can put our faith in. We have a firm foundation that allows our hope to be strengthened. So as we look at what Jesus says, we're reminded of we have Isaiah here who's speaking of this Messiah to tell us to put our hope in, to then look forward to a kingdom that is going to be coming. And then we have Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, telling us to look to Christ, look backwards, and put our faith here so we can look forward into a new hope. And so what does Jesus say about his kingdom? This is in Luke 13. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, Will those who are saved be few? And he, Jesus, said to him, said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Um, 
reading that passage, I remember, at the, I remember kind of wrestling with it a little bit. And the morning I was wrestling with it, I was putting the chairs back and um, someone from our church came over and we just sat after it was done and talked for a little bit and just wrestled with that passage. And it can be a little hard because it's, we, have, we know that we have a loving and a merciful and kind God and yet there will be a day when he comes and the door will be closed. And the door will be closed. And so you, you, we wrestle with this tension and we kind of left like, okay, well, we still haven't figured it out. So we need to trust Jesus. And then I kept reading that passage over and over again. I'm like, okay, I still haven't figured this out, but I need to just trust Jesus and know he's good. And, and then to an extent, I can get it. I can understand what he's saying and I know what he's saying, but the hard part is my heart. Because my heart has compassion on those that I know who may not be, who may not know or believe or trust and put their faith in Jesus. But the good news is, um, Jesus also offers us a ray of hope. And people will come from east and west and from north and south. For the Jewish people of that time, again, this is important. They were thinking this whole time, well, God is going to be saving Israel. He's going to be saving the Jews. The Jews will have salvation. And Jesus is constantly going through his ministry and his life saying, yes, and I will say much more than that. And as a Gentile, we should be, as Gentiles, we should be grateful and thankful for that. And so we, we see these, these two, two authors pointing us to Jesus and to this hope. And it made me think of two things. First is this. Our hope is strengthened by the faith we have in Jesus' defeat over sin and the promise of his return. Our hope is strengthened by the faith we have in Jesus' defeat over sin and the promise of his return. Sometimes I I think about my own life and the the things I put my faith and my trust in, in, whether it's people or jobs or ideas or money or whether it's education or whatever else it might be, I put my hope in that. And then it's always put to shame. It's always put to shame. And, And there come moments in my life where I have nothing left but faith in Jesus. Faith in a world that will be made new. A world that will have no more pain and no more tears and no more death. There will be no more mourning. Things that will be made new. And, and it makes me wonder as I, as I think about that and as I put my hope and my, my faith in Jesus, my hope is strengthened. When, when all else crumbles around me, I put my faith and that faith girds me up and makes me look again towards a new hope. And it makes me wonder about the people who don't have faith in Jesus, who don't put their faith or put all of it in Christ. Well, where is their hope? I worry about this with my friends and with family that I have. And so our hope, brothers and sisters, is strengthened by the faith we have in Jesus' defeat over sin and the promise of his return. And the second point is this, that our faith is lived out for others to see and be invited into. See, I... I feel like oftentimes I read the Old Testament or the New Testament and the Gospels and, and see Jesus reminding the, um, the Jews, like, hey, guys, it's not just for you, it's for everyone. Um, and then I, I, I sat and reflected, and I was like, do I act? Do I act? Do I live? Do I speak as if this kingdom is for everyone? Do I need to, do I need to take a lesson myself and live in such a way and act in such a way that I can share the good news of the kingdom. 
right? And by the time I finish reading Hebrews 12, I mean, joy and excitement bubble up within me. In verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See, when, when I'm passionate about something and when I'm excited about something, I don't just close my door, lock it, turn off the lights and snicker and like, aha, I got it. No, I, I go out and I tell everyone. I tell everyone the things I'm excited about. I go and I do that and I live in a way that's different. And so I look forward to that. And it should be the same when we, we put our faith in Christ. Why? Because the good news is that there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering when Christ returns. The good news is that we serve a king who is currently and presently on the throne, leading his people. And he will be king at the end times when he comes again to judge the rulers of this world. The good news is that we we serve and worship the great physician, the one who made the world perfect and then was tainted by sin. He's going to be remaking us into something new, into, into his original image. That's who we're putting our faith in. We put our faith in Jesus who is making and giving us hope. Our hope is strengthened by the faith we have in Jesus' defeat over sin and the promise of his return. And therefore, our faith is to be lived out for others to see and be invited into. Now, I wouldn't be a good Anglican if I didn't use all of the lectionary readings this morning. And so, I want to end our time praying through our psalm this morning. To pray through it. To let the the words of this psalmist, which was true for the Israelites, and still true for us today. So let me pray. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will, ex- I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.